This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-chief at Voice of San Diego. And I'm joined, as always, by managing editor Andrew Keats, What's up with you, Andrew Keats? Just another Thursday, bud. Just so. another Thursday. Yeah. That's it. Fellow managing editor, Andrea Lopez Villafana. What's up, Lopez? Hey, Luis. Just a normal Thursday for you? Normal Thursday. Coming up on the show this week, a bill that passed quietly last year, was signed by the governor with no meaningful opposition, and has completely upended campaign finance across the state, is causing confusion everywhere. We'll explain SB 1439 and why it has had such massive consequences. Also, about a year ago, a city ordinance went into effect to curb street vendors. It has certainly kicked them off the curbs. Vendors now say vending is practically impossible. Andrea has an update. She's going to share the latest and what she's hearing from those most affected. Finally, Mayor Todd Gloria is gearing up for a big vote, a new ordinance to ban camping in most public spaces, is going before the city council in a couple weeks. We'll explain the mayor's latest messaging and a petition he's asking people to sign. That's all coming up. Stay with us. But first, but first, there there is some news, some internal news we need to deal with. And that is that our friend here has an announcement. Andy, what is your news for the public? Does this mean we're we're not going the route we had discussed about me just departing the show and never mentioning it? That would be an option. That would be pretty cool to just like not even say who you or not when you're not here. Usually we're like, oh, he's he's going to Tennessee. Yeah. Don't even say that. Yeah. And then if people ask, ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh that uh, this will be my my penultimate episode on the Voice of San Diego podcast. I mean, you might come on. Sure, yeah, as a co-host on the Voice of San Diego podcast. Yeah. 
I've taken a job with Axios San Diego, which we'll be launching in a few weeks uh, and leaving you all to take care of this organization. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Sad. Yeah. And this show. It's, uh, I think it's fine. I've yeah. been waiting for this for a while. Yeah. You got to be stoked. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be so much easier for you to slip some like thinly sourced information through this show. <laughs> well... <laughs> I, you know, dang. I, I look forward to, to not kidding. having to no. deal with your sense of humor. Way it's of, the tapping of the. Uh, yes, he is a fidgety monster. But <laughs> let me just twist. <laughs> Anything this. else? <laughs> let me just go ahead and twist. I will miss you making us laugh all the time. Okay. Okay. I will point this out. You started here almost 11 years ago. Mm hmm. Whoa. And. I will acknowledge that you were the first person. What? I just love acknowledge. It's, it's, Whoa. it's like so begrudging. Well, just, I, just, I, you might as well like admit. Just, <laughs> you know, just to put like it, it like in context. Crime. Can I put yeah. this in context? Yeah. All week long, he's been telling me things that he thought I had right this yeah. whole time, which is like very gratifying, but it's also a way to just supremely troll me. Yeah. In his last week or penultimate week here. Mm -hmm. So this is part of that. Yeah. But let me just say, 11 years ago or so, you were the first to kind of open my eyes to podcasting. Now, podcasting was far older than that, mm -hmm. but it was starting to pick up as a sort of more popular medium. Mm -hmm. And I had done this show. We'd done the show for several years, but we had mostly thought of it as a radio show that broadcasts on Kogo and... Yeah, we put it online, but it wasn't a podcast that we were really identified it as. And you, I remember the very conversation when you and I started talking about, like, how about we put a little bit more effort into it to make it a truly valuable podcast and organize its structure a little bit better, prepare it a little better, and really make it a great podcast. And we did. And it really is a popular thing now. And I just want to highlight that that was one of many things you did here and i appreciate it well thanks uh it was uh, a good show we've had together with a lot of different people have come and go over the years yeah and it's been fun we've had two other co-hosts right yeah katie green sarah and now andrea mm -hmm. um and then before me there was will carlos immediately preceded me as your co-host mm -hmm. and andy donahue before him yeah it's been a lot of people coming through this chair yeah talking into this mic well, I'm uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot of plans about what's going to happen to the show, whether we're going to bring Hero and Goat back now that you're... <laughs> yeah, for, to all the listeners who don't know, I, I got rid of that. I really did not like Hero and Goat. More Mostly, so. and it w really was genuinely, I didn't like commending people for good things every yeah. single week. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think there was somebody who deserved that That's every That's very week. on brand of you. Yeah. Because there was just so many times where we would give somebody a hero and then like the thing that we would commend them for would go belly up like yeah. six weeks later and we'd have to apologize for it. It was <laughs> exhausting. It's like every time we tried to be nice about something, we got egg on our face over it. It was unbelievable. We're no longer being nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'll have more to say uh, next week as well, but um, I always appreciate your commentary. I think that uh, you've you know, if I was looking for one journalist to, to um, help lead a new enterprise, Along these lines in San Diego, I would pick me. Um, but 
I would also consider you. <laughs> and uh, and I, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see what you all do. Thanks, bud. It has been almost a year since the city of San Diego's street vending rules went into effect. You might remember more than a year ago, Balboa Park was filled with vendors. Ocean Beach, Mm -hmm. Pacific Beach, downtown. Barrio Logan, lots of places places. saw a a mixture, some really valuable and interesting Mm -hmm. commodities and people obviously creating entrepreneurial ventures Mm -hmm. and then some not so great things. Mm-hmm. And now it's gone. A lot of it is gone. Like OB is a much different place. Now it's not totally gone. There's still people setting things up, mm-hmm. but it's definitely different. And I think a lot of people are pleased, but there are other people who are suffering. What have you learned and, and picked up since you started covering this and since you saw the, the implications? Yeah. So let me just pedal back a little bit yeah. for some of our listeners. So in 2018, Um, The governor signed SB 946, which basically decriminalized street vending. And this was mainly a problem that came out of L.A., advocates pushing for the decriminalization of street vendors. Um, So it made it so that cities can't have sort of ordinances just because they don't want competition for their businesses. Uh, Any sort of ordinance that a city puts in place is for public health, public safety, obviously cleanliness and all that sort of thing, right? And the right for people to have um, public spaces to use. This was in 2018. Talk about the reasons behind it. Like the people are trying to claw together a living. They can't necessarily pay for rent in a in a storefront, but they are mm-hmm. trying to be people who create things that, to support themselves. Yeah, and-, and you have people like in different groups, right? So street vendors can be food vendors. So maybe it's a guy who has a passion for Uh, making hot dogs and eventually he wants to start his own restaurant but maybe he's got to start somewhere right he doesn't have the capital to open up a big fancy restaurant Uh, maybe it's a woman who enjoys making jewelry and that's a sense of therapy for her and she just likes to sell her jewelry pieces out on the street elote yeah elotes come on um you know or even you know artists who paint funny have their art you know they want to sell it on the street it's all kinds of things um i don't think we really saw it as much until the pandemic because in 2020, um, you know, a lot of people were laid off or not working and were trying to figure out what to do or ways to create extra income or maybe they realized the work that they did they weren't passionate about. So often when I speak to vendors, a lot of them tell me they started out in 2020. Like that was the time that they started out. And this was when I was covering an OB, like vendors were just crowding areas all over Ocean Beach. And residents were upset because they couldn't use this little park space by the beach. Um, You know, there was complaints about it being really dirty, the vendors, you know, bringing in trash with all the food that they have and, um, you know, concerns about safety and it turned into a whole big thing. So they would sell drug paraphernalia sometimes. uh, And then they would compete ostensibly some of the businesses felt like they were competing at least right like and and i think with ocean beach right there's a farmer's market so the vendors who were paying for the farmer's market are paying money to vend in the farmer's market but then you had all these vendors that they were competing with that weren't paying anything um so the city of san diego uh last year finally um you know started enforcing its street vending rules um, basically, it prevents vendors from vending in certain areas. So Balboa Park is one of them. There's restrictions on like the summer moratorium. 
There's restrictions on, you know, where they can vent depending on the size of the sidewalk and the side of their the size of their cart. Um, there's ven vending rules for roaming vendors, which is like what you think of your eloteros, paleteros, kind of those, you know, guys pushing a cart through the neighborhood. Uh, there's different rules for a guy who has a hot dog stand. So all sorts of things. The biggest being they all need permission. They right? all need permission. They need to get permits from the city. Um, they're not too costly. I think they're like in the $35, $50 range. Um, but they have to have an active business license. And, you know, if they're selling food, they have to have a food handler's card from the county. Um, so they put all these things in place. And yesterday I went to a community meeting where uh, vendors were just going to talk about and reflect on how the city of San Diego's vending rules uh, were playing out for them in reality. And I didn't really know what to expect because I've covered this from the beginning. But the second I walked in there, it was just anger. Like vendors were the, the presenters. They weren't with the city. They're with a nonprofit that does educational um, programming for vendors and helps vendors obtain their permits. But they were so upset. They were not even letting the guy who was doing the presentation start his presentation. Like they took control of that event and were just sort of speaking over each other about all the issues that they're dealing with. And basically, the main thing I took away from it was we just can't vent. Like we we can't do what we used to do. And even if we follow the rules and we have permits. It's just, it's made it so impossible that like park rangers are constantly harassing us, police officers are harassing us. And even when it's like we're in a correct place where we can bend, um, people are still harassing us, like business owners telling us like we can't be there when we can. And so there's a lot of confusion. And for some people, they are confused and they start second guessing themselves like, oh, maybe I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And um, it just seemed like there's a lot of confusion and a lot of people are really frustrated that. Um, the rules have played out this way. Um, and yeah, so it was just really fascinating to listen to everybody kind of break down how. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a classic San Diego issue, right? Where there's, you would think that the pro-business, maybe conservative side would be, mm -hmm. these are entrepreneurs and this is government trying to hold mm -hmm. them back with gatekeeping mm -hmm. ordinances, right? Mm -hmm. and, and yet there's also this very instinctual desire and... Um, neighborhood sort of uh, protectionism going on where they want to keep people from changing how the sidewalks look and the mm -hmm. streets look and the public spaces look. And there's also just a public space argument of ours. Mm -hmm. Should should this, if you put a McDonald's in the middle of a park, people would be mad mm -hmm. without it being going through some sort of you know major discussion and process. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, there's just all these different forces you can you can identify with, but at the heart of it are people who are trying to make a living, mm -hmm. and and now they're frustrated. And then there was a push going forward, right, where they're they're trying to hire a bunch of people to enforce the ordinance even beyond what the park rangers and the police are already doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, and at the start of the conversation, I think this is what was interesting to me, and I'll keep following up on it, was that when these conversations started, I think advocates and vendors themselves. Um, they really wanted to persuade the city, I guess, to not have police enforce the ordinance uh, because a lot of vendors are immigrants or, you know, they again, with the idea of not criminalizing um, something like this. And from what I've noticed and from what I was hearing is that police have had to step up. Well, part of the point was to avoid more interactions between 
police and some of these vendors, right? That yeah. was part of the original issue that led to the governor signing that bill, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you were at the Logan Heights Library. Mm-hmm. Logan, Barrio Logan in particular, has a lot of, of street vendors, and it mm-hmm. became a real attraction, I remember. Mm-hmm. Was it 2020 when that sort of blossomed? Yeah, so the it was actually the business owners. So it was interesting because while in Ocean Beach or other areas, the business owners were complaining about the vendors, in Barrio Logan, because... People had stopped coming to the area because of the pandemic. It was the business owners who said we should invite, you know how you could do the little parklets thing? Yeah. Um, we should invite vendors to come out so we can have these like outdoor options for people. And that way we increase foot traffic. And so every Saturday they had spots for vendors in front of businesses that business owners supported um, to have out there. And some of those vendors actually now have storefronts mm-hmm. because, you know, they tested. It was like it was funny because people would tell me like, it's both, you know, building up capital as you're a straight vendor, but also seeing if you found your market, right? Yeah. Like you're you're testing out your product and, you know, if I'm selling if I'm selling uh puppy clothes that say like Kachula or cute, you know, let Latino things, then like obviously Barrio Logan's probably a good market and that's probably where you want to open your store and maybe not a good, you know, option for other places. Balboa Park had an interesting tension along these lines, right? Like, because I remember walking through Balboa Park when this was at its peak and being equal parts kind of horrified, but equal parts really excited. <laughs> it was it was active in a way that was kind of cool. There was a lot of performers. Uh-huh. There were a lot of good vendors. And there was a lot of mess, mm-hmm. too. Uh, but I remember there was a lot of people like, this is a total disaster. And it wasn't clear that it was a total disaster, It was, but it yeah. was kind of a half disaster. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely part of it that is a sort of like an attempt to turn much of the city into an HOA. And there's no question that like Balboa Park was more vibrant during that time. There's also no question that a lot of people don't want that type of vibrancy at Balboa Park. Mm-hmm. That like that's not what it's for. Yeah. It's not supposed and to be that, Kobe's swap, swap me. Right. Right. It could be a cultural puppet show. That's cool. But it, there's also just like a weird spectrum there that it's, it's like, it, it oh, those are just hit. things that are like factory made that you're laying out on the table. There's nothing interesting, you know, exactly. And uh, so, yeah, it was definitely a, an odd tension to watch in action. You could mm-hmm. see people who were upset about it. And then, but then also, it wouldn't have been much of a problem if everyone felt like them because the vendors would not be. Yeah, they crowded to there. Go there. There was a lot of people there who actually decided they wanted a churro. You know? Yeah, and and you know what's interesting? I think with Balboa Park, like before, you know, I could get a churro or, or an elote or some sort of cool coffee specialty food or whatever. Back when there's a lot of vendors, but now I feel like I mean, I went a couple months ago, and I feel like there's still a lot of people because you have all those vendors who are you know, like free speech and sort of stuff. So it still feels like really crowded and random people. You know, there's like the atheist and the <laughs> like painters and different people. It still feels like there's a lot of random tents everywhere. Like it's not like it's totally clean and aesthetic looking. And just It's all clear to you know? view the architecture. Like now yeah. you yeah. still have a bunch of random tents and random booths, but now I just can't get a churro, <laughs> um, which is really depressing. <laughs> but um, one thing that was interesting, which I'll be following up on, is um, they two things, I guess. They mentioned that there was, there's a lot of confusion between the city of San Diego's ordinance and the port of San Diego's ordinance and how that one works. Um, they have this sort of like opportunity drawing which vendors can enter into. And if they're selected, they get six months to vend 
on any port land. Um, but then six months after that, you have nowhere to vend, but you're still paying um, for a permit and a business license that lasts through an entire year. Oh. So there was some confusion as to that and whether that's fair or not. Uh, one vendor, uh, her name was Barbara. Uh, she was this older woman who started making face masks. She was like, what if I just came into your job? And I was like, you can only work for six months. Good luck with the rest of the six months. You know, she was uh, very struggling a lot financially. And then the other thing was one vendor brought up Imperial Beach. And I'm not super familiar with their vending laws, but she said that Imperial Beach has done a great job with what they've done. And um, I'm interested in talking about Imperial Beach. So if you're a vendor in Imperial Beach, hit me up. Sometimes this happens and it's really interesting. People will point out that something has happened or some law has changed. And it, and it happened last year. Remember when they were like, oh, the district attorney and the, and the sheriff, they get another two years in office for no reason. They just yeah. get it. The one that was um, very alarming to me was when somebody called me and was like, hey, so the sports arena redevelopment is uh, dead. Yeah. And the reason is uh, the, some, the state law was changed and no one noticed. That. Yeah. I was like, I, this can't be right. Yeah. I, like, I, I made like so many phone calls that morning and I was like, this is one of the dumbest things that's ever happened. How, like, how, how did no one know? It's you know? those moments when something happens that seems just bananas and it can't be true because you just got to look into it. It's, it's like some theory about why things might be the way they are. But or, there's going to be another provision buried down below that's like, right. actually, the, all the, this doesn't matter. Or the yeah. court case that made it possible for you to vote on initiatives to yeah. impose tax increases with just a 50% of the vote when you normally two-thirds to get something yeah. special like Ooh, that. Boy, you really staked out your ground on that one early, didn't you? I did. I was like, you this went, is real, and went, it's going to matter. And everybody's you like, You went 100%. Nah. Yeah. Well, this one... The latest one came up last week or about two weeks ago. I started hearing from people who said, hey, you need to check out SB 1439. It's changing everything. Everybody's freaking out about this law and how it's changing campaign finance, like what you can take for donations and what matters when you do take a donation if you're running for office. And they said, basically, anybody who donates to your campaign if they have an application in front of the city or a land use application or a contract that they're trying to get from the city, if they've donated to you, you can't vote on it. Mm -hmm. Which means like a lot of implications for in particular developers and city council members. If they get a donation from somebody who has applied for a permit that the city council has to vote on for a housing development, if they've donated to four of the city council members, like that they they would all four have to recuse themselves or they can give the money back. Now, so let's just dial it back a real uh, a bit. This law, this sort of law has been in place for boards and commissions for a long time. Like the coastal commission, planning boards across the state, they have always had it set so that if you if you were say a city councilman on the side, let's say you're a city council member in San Diego and you also sit on the Coastal Commission. If you get a campaign donation as a city council member and you have to vote on somebody's project that's going in front of the Coastal Commission, then you either have to give that money back or you have to uh, recuse yourself from the vote. Now, it 
it has always been in place, again, that you have 30 days from either side of that arrangement. 30 days from when the donation happens, if the application is already present on that board, like if somebody's applied to build something and then you get a donation, you have 30 days to give that money back. Or you have 30 days from after you've gotten a donation and them putting in the application or at least letting you know that they're going to be applying for something, right? So if, if they're going to build a project in, in City Heights and they go to uh, uh, Sean Elo Rivera's office and say like, hey, we're going to build this project with your, you know, we'd like to get your input before we put it before the city council. The, the clock starts right then. So if he's already got a donation from them, he has to give that, that money back within 30 days. So that's what this law did is it took that thing that was for boards and commissions and it and expanded it statewide for elected officials of all kinds. And it's had, it's everybody's like losing their mind about it because in the next 30 days, they all have to turn in their first major reports of how they've don't how they've collected fundraising dollars during this period and they have to completely change how they do that and if there's a situation where they've been raising money from somebody that has you know this kind of business in front of their city council they they have to turn it down or somehow promise a refund or something it's 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 bananas so now may i ask you uh, scott is understanding that this might be a level of complexity that we don't know the answer to yet but the way recusals are handled in land use often um, makes a distinction between projects and programs, basically. Um, and so what I would mean by that in this case is, let's say you were set to vote on the new university city community plan and you had received donations from somebody who does not yet have a specific project in the works, but may own property and may have long-term aspirations about building a project. And let's say that project's only viable due to an upzone that is included in the community plan. Would th- that donation from an, a single individual require a recusal from that uh, uh, vote on an entire community plan? No. So the way I understand it is it's very strictly worded. You have an application. Mm-hmm going forward okay. for land use approval of some kind. Or a specific project. Or This is not for hypothetical conflicts of interest that one may be able to argue are active down the line. Or a contract coming forward. Like okay. you are, a big one would be SDG&E, right? Yeah, yeah. When they're trying to get their next deal with the city to have the right-of-ways to deliver electricity, if they've donated to the city council members who will make that decision, the, the city council members, once they know that that is a contract that SDG is asking for again, would have to give that money back within 30 days or 30 days after the donation has occurred. So I, one of the things I, I saw from that, that, apparently common cause, you know, common cause is a sort of grassroots uh, ethics in government, uh, democracy kind of activist organization, always looking for public funding of elections, that sort of thing, that they have for years, every year, put forward this law to sort of extend those regulations that were on boards and commissions for the entire state of, uh, for all elected officials. And 
I've had like three or four people who follow this stuff who said everybody just assumed like always it would fail. (laughs) And it just kept going. And the governor signed it. And now all of these, like the Building Industry Association, the restaurant group, they all freaked out and they sued. And the just last week, the court said, no, nah, this is legal. You can, you can have this. And so all of these interests are now dealing with a completely new reality about how this system works. And so there are a couple of really interesting nuances. One is this does not, the contracts part of it, does not affect labor union negotiations. So if you are a firefighters union hoping for a new contract at the city of San Diego, you can still donate to the candidates and and it doesn't affect the same way, even though that's a contract in a way going forward. Presumably the same for like a project labor agreement. No, that one counts. So Ah, ah. so if you are part of a project that needs approval and your and your labor negotiation or your labor unions who are part of your coalition make the donations and can be seen as part of the applicants of that, then yes, that does count from what common causes attorney said. Fascinating. And now what if it were the case that labor does not make any agreement with any developers uh, ahead of the approval of the project? But after the approval of the project, they do. Yeah, there's, and that could trigger an investigation. So it would all be complaint based through the FPPC. So they said, no, they had a sh- handshake agreement and they just delayed the announcement until after the fact. That would be come up in the course of an investigation, basically. That's the way I understand it. Yeah. I know this is such a big deal. <laughs> so take this to the next step of like what the implications are of this. If you are somebody who already hates developers or doesn't get get their support in these things, you're probably kind of stoked on this because you're, you're you were at a disadvantage from not having that avenue for fundraising. And now you still don't have that avenue for fundraising, but now the other person that you may be facing off against in the next election, at least they don't now have it as well. Yes. As well. So Jim Sutton, uh, elections attorney from the Bay Area who does a lot of work here, he pointed out, he said he thinks that moderate Democrats will be the ones most affected by this because they do often have more sort of liberal, as in the classical sense, liberal views on housing and development and are supported by developers and others who have been trying to get projects approved easier over time for quite a while and and would support those kinds of things. And now they are not going to donate to these campaigns. Although he said there's he's hearing about some candidates who are saying like go ahead and donate now. Yeah. And uh I'll I just want to show that we have a lot of support for this yeah. deadline and then I'll give it back. But he's saying like you got to be really careful with that because the moment you hear that a project is going forward, it's real and the clock starts ticking and there's a lot of misinformation going on that you can like just you know, retroactively pull this back. There's another interesting angle. I would just say about it to his point, it's possible that uh, I, I see the hypothetical he draws as yeah. being one that's possible. You have a, a moderate Democrat facing a more uh, progressive Democrat who's less likely to support these sorts of projects in the first place. And uh, and maybe that levels the field between them. Uh, but also you could easily look at like our mayoral race in 2020 yeah. when you did actually have a race that very much became rhetorically about Todd Gloria being in favor of development and Barbara Bree acting as a protector of neighborhoods. 
And they both received lots of money from developers. Yes. Yeah. Both of them got lots of money from developers. With deals literally in the process of application or right after in, in city government. Yeah. yeah. There's two other angles. So one of the potential consequences would be that all of this money just goes to independent expenditures instead now. And so Sutton was saying like there's a whole business opportunity now for these consultants who have these independent political action committees who spend on these elections without coordinating with these candidates. And a lot of that money can go there. And the candidate can say... I can't take your money, but you can give it to this this independent group. And, and that's especially going to be more true in a place like San Diego that already has pretty strict campaign uh, li- you know, donation limits uh, from individuals anyway. Right. Like if a, a large developer that wants to make a significant impact in a local race doesn't do that by like donating $550 to a candidate or donating $550, getting their spouse to donate $550, getting their you know VP to donate 500 even all of that work that people do makes a small amount of difference compared to seating a ie with one hundred thousand dollars yeah so i I at first was my first reaction was like that can't be real yeah my second reaction was that can't be legal right there seems like there's so many discussions in in from emanating from the united states supreme court itself that you can't have this kind of restriction. And, and what they pointed out is, no, this has survived for decades in California law as it applied to boards and commissions because it doesn't say you can't donate. It's a cap as at $250. Hmm. Now, here's the, the sort of really interesting part of that. It's $250 aggregate. So if, if you and, and your partner have a project uh, going forward for application for approval of a land use project in the city council and you give $200 and he gives $100, you've crossed the line. Mm-hmm. And so it's $250 total from the interests involved mm-hmm. in that application or that contract. And that, that would extend to like consultants that they hire? Yes. That, that the lobbyists and political professionals? It extends to anyone who can be considered part of that team. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's really big. Yeah. And those are the exact people that they round up to yeah. donate to these causes or these campaigns. It is it is having massive implications for all of these campaigns and these candidates right now who are raising money for like the supervisors race or the assembly or their city council or mayors across the region. It is a, apparently everybody's like, "Whoa, what do we do with this?" And again, it was it was still such a big implication that I, when I heard about, it, I was like, "This can't be." And everybody I talked to was like, "Yes, that's it. Hmm. That really I heard, is." I heard him. It was like a quiet day in the office, and you must have been calling James. Yeah, and, a few people. Yeah, who uh, <laughs> was like, "I've heard about this law, and that can't be right." Is it right? I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a good politics report. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was a good politics report section. So, <laughs> oops. Come on. I gave him that one. You, you, it everybody. Was, it was great. Wait, so but the great. intention of this law. <laughs> they call it to avoid pay to play. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. But like people are still finding other ways. <laughs> they're, they're, that's the thing with all campaign finance restrictions is that there's always a way. There's always a way to get money. Uh-huh. into the politics. It's just who benefits along that route and how, and I think there's probably a lot of consultants and lobbyists and these developers who are like, oh, shucks. Yeah. Now I, 
Now I can't, I can't donate Sorry, to your campaign. A um, <laughs> hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, and and then whatever they want to do, they can control more directly through these independent packs. Mm-hmm. But those independent packs and the consultants that work for them are like, hey, yo, yeah. let's go. Mm-hmm. We have a little bit of a business that uh, is going to benefit from our cut of these projects and initiatives that we can kind of rally support for. It'd be interesting to check the like the percentage of spending in a race that is comes from uh, campaigns directly versus IEs and how much that changes coming forward. Because one would assume that the overall amount of money that's going, going to end up in a race wouldn't be that variable, like wouldn't be depressed too much. It'll just move to the IE side. Or yeah, was it depressed because they could say like, I'm going to give a thousand bucks to the city council yeah. And that's all I got. Yeah. And now they they can have unlimited, and so they're just by you know basic sort of uh, compete with the Joneses. You you end up going higher or right. something. I don't know. It's uh, like yeah, I could see, I could see any. I'm not good enough at game theory to to suss that out. If we were <laughs> if we were better journalists, we could look at the disclosure over the last like five years and see how many of them would have crossed that line, right? Yeah, but you you wouldn't like. The line didn't exist, right? So you would it would be, I think, hasty to presume that we could discern anything from what what was donated under different rules. This applies to all elected officials. All elected officials. Apparently, there's some concern or question about city attorneys mm-hmm. because they're not voting on the like application or the contract. No, no, they're just giving their legal opinion <laughs> about whether the contract is allowed to exist. Yeah, so the common, so you know, like not a conflict. The con- <laughs> the common cause guy was like, obviously, it applies to them because they have this massive impact on whether this project or far application. more impactful than any one council member's right. vote. <laughs> but I guess there is some like discussion. Uh, Brian Mainshine, one of the uh, legislators who's now, of course, running for city attorney. Apparently, he's already been letting donors know, like, hey, you can't support my campaign if you've got anything pending or mm. going to be pending in front of this the city. So he's already decided that that would apply mm. that way, probably the wise interpretation. But yeah, all mayors, all city council, uh, anybody who's elected to these seats um, will all have to play along the rules that these... Um, you know, commissioners of different agencies have had to do for quite some time. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. 
Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. The Atlantis Group are land use consultant experts. We help clients navigate the maze of governmental land use policies and regulations to meet their goals. We evaluate development opportunities for entitlement requests and potential environmental constraints. And we specialize in project management from concept to approval. Learn more at AtlantisSD.com. That's A-T-L-A-N-T-I-S-S-D.com. We see this a lot in politics, Andy, right, where people put up candidates or political actors put up petitions that aren't like actually petitions. Yeah. What are they? I don't know. They're just usually they're just ways they, they, to collect <laughs> contact information. They, right? they used to be uh, change.org. Remember that the, yeah. the whole change.org was uh, every, every position of uh, petition above a certain threshold would like required a response from the white house or something <laughs> right I mean, it was like that no that was that that was not changed that was just the white house's initiative that was obama. oh that was they, yeah that's right that was obama yeah. remember they were like the, the best best one was the the um, death star yes that's right they like we should build a death star and the white house had to respond that was good stuff yeah yeah i feel like we i feel, feel like we're past peak uh fake petition except in politics in san diego so uh, <laughs> okay. uh, Carl DeMaio is famous for these, right? Uh, stop the whatever cat tax and sign this thing. And, and oh, it just so happens to sign you up for everything he ever does. And as long as we're here, I got to admit, the funniest thing DeMaio ever did was when he railed against the cat tax mm-hmm. and his press conference, he, he brought his own cat. Yeah. And he just couldn't help. But throughout the press conference, look down at his pet cat and, and smile at how cute it was. <laughs> the, the press conference is still on YouTube. He takes multiple breaks during during his his rant about uh, about the the government overreach on display to just sort of smile at Mr. Whiskers. I, I mean it was a classic. He also says let's send this back to the litter box. <laughs> nice. Nice. It was a classic Demayo move, right? It was a uh, it was they had sought out these list of ways the city could raise revenue, and one of them in this giant it's list like an was an IBA report. Well, yeah, it was, it was an IBA report that was like, "Here are ways you could raise money." And one of them was you could license cats, yeah. right? Yeah. And and he's like the cat tax. It turned into this huge cat tax thing. Uh, so this week, Mayor Todd or last week, Mayor Todd Gloria sent out to his world a a request for people to sign his petition. And his petition. Now, I was confused by this because there, there really is a move to have an initiative on the ballot mm-hmm. where it would make it easier, I think, to set up safe camping sites or something, or cut through government red tape to mm-hmm. get some of these emergency measures implemented for homelessness. But that's not what this was. This wasn't a petition for that. This was just him um, doing that collecting signatures for some, you know, way to express how people, how many people want this, but also probably to get their name and number and contact information. Email address, yeah. So he sent that out. Now, this is all part of a big push he's been going on to get uh, support for his um, 
proposed ordinance that would ban camping on public land. It would ban camping on public land anywhere where if there is shelter available, and it would ban it permanently uh, near schools, uh, riverbeds, other sensitive areas, right? Yeah, within two blocks of K-12 schools, within two blocks of a shelter, along trolley tracks and transportation hubs. That went to the Rules Committee. It got kicked to the City Council without a vote at the Rules Committee, right? Or without uh, you know overwhelming support there. So we're all really interested in what will happen to it when it goes to the full city council on June 13th. Okay. So the mayor is something we haven't really seen sometimes from him where there's like a a thing going forward where he is now rallying support for it. He went to Perkins Elementary in Barrio Logan where we have written about and others have written about for a long time. There is a lot of homeless nearby and it's and a lot of people have to walk in the middle of the street to avoid the encampments and other things. So here was uh, the principal at Perkins Elementary talking about what kids have to go through. Our children walk by and they will witness people sticking needles in their arms. They will witness people defecating into bags. Um, they will witness people not wearing any underwear. They have seen people cussing at one another and getting into fights. They have seen homeless individuals brandishing knives and weapons and threatening to hurt one another. They have seen them punching one another. These are all the, all the things we have heard our children say when they come to school. So I think all of us, especially if you have kids, can feel that. Mm-hmm. How... However, what part of that is not something the city can address already? Like what what part of, like if there's violence actually occurring or there's weapons being brandished or public nudity. Open air drug use. Yeah, or fight, or, or, or the lack of public restrooms. Like what part of that can't already be addressed? Yeah, I think all of those things are expressly illegal. And- Encampments are already illegal. Yes. Setting that aside, encampments being illegal is the curveball here. Right. Because that's just never been enforced. But those other things have at various points been enforced and people still get arrested for them today. Now, there's often arguments about like whether it's good to arrest people for, you know, relatively minor crimes. And maybe some of these, some or all of these may fall into that bucket for some people. Your mileage may vary on that. But if what you're looking for is a legal pretext to intervene in these situations and that that's what you need why you need this ordinance to pass it is it it feels a bit backwards since we're talking about controlling a list of behaviors that are already have exactly that legal standing well and I turn to you lopez so you guys did the story a couple of weeks ago about things that were clearly illegal happening that the city already was not either willing to or able to respond to mm-hmm. and 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 yet it they were going on right so so i guess my question is what like what do we what does this ordinance do that we can't already do with our laws and i think that'll be the central question that the city council will have to grapple with, right? Yes, we watch it. I mean, um, at that press conference, both of our reporters were there, Lisa Halverstadt and Will Huntsbury. And uh, Will and I wrote that story together about the, you know, just public safety concerns in downtown and central San Diego, um, people fighting or doing things in stores or restaurants. 
um, and the police just not responding to it. So Will asked um, the mayor, you know, you're already you're expecting officers to enforce this ordinance, but they can barely handle what they're doing now. Um, and this is what he said to him. So, quote, Gloria said, this is not going to be an overnight thing. I'm not standing here saying that overnight this is going to make tents go away, unquote. So we shall see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, look, I don't I don't necessarily even want to come out and say like that this is on you know this is a waste of time or something of course not yeah. I, 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 but i i think people have reasonable questions about uh what what making something illegal is going to do if we're unwilling to intervene in a list of behaviors that are already illegal i think the the question i i maybe there is sort of we just talked about the vending ordinance mm-hmm. maybe there is something powerful in clarifying rules like that yeah, yeah that, that be, has yeah. its own in self-enforcement effect and maybe that's what they're going for with the signage that they would put up with the clarity of the message that they communicate with the new law and maybe there is something that happens that that clears it up but i but i also am just i'm i'm not comfortable with the idea that all of the things that that man described that those kids have to see that all of those things are just out of the hands of the city right now yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, and and when you talk to people who ascribe to the idea that those things are out of the hands of the city, it's usually some combination of due to the combined effect of recent laws of the last 12 years that have uh diminished the punishments or fines or even, you know, lowered from felony to misdemeanor certain elements of those crimes um that it is not worth it for police to arrest those people or the People committing those things know that um, that the penalties are not going to be severe, so they don't fear any sort of repercussions. But am I to believe that the 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 punishment for illegal lodging is going to be greatly in excess of those things? Yes. Yeah. That well, that the the, the the punishment for illegal lodging will be such that that individual officers on the street do think it's worth their time. Yeah. To, to bring people in, uh, unlike you know. Uh, even, shoplifting uh, 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 an amount under a thousand dollars or whatever, like like or salt <laughs> or, or or yeah. I, even I mean, the hardest core dudes pushing this, like Mayor, former Mayor Kevin Faulkner, yeah, uh, who who I think is fair to say kind of pushed the mayor into doing this mm-hmm. uh, as a as an explicit sort of prohibition on public camping and and would also pursue shelters at the same time so there's enough space for people to go and the safe space for camping even he was unwilling to say that that should be a misdemeanor violation that you should yeah. literally go to jail or pay you know a, a criminal price at that level if you're if you're sleeping in an area where you're not allowed and so, to and so to like make it explicit like we hear often about oh well this is this began with prop 47 when so many of these laws that are common among the homeless population were made from felonies into misdemeanors and it has become pointless to make people well well then what is what what is going to be so game changing about a new misdemeanor in that yeah. case yeah but it i mean it might be what scott said that like self correcting i mean when I was sitting at that street vendor meeting, the presenters put up a map that the city provided where they're not allowed to vent. Mm-hmm. And it was all red where they couldn't vent. So Bubbo Park, beach areas. And one of the vendors said, well, yeah, they provided this map, but with the other small little guidelines with like certain distance from 
a fire hydrant or a certain distance from a public uh, bathroom, it adds all these little things where like an area that's not red on this map is still not, I still can't bend there because of all these other things. And so therefore to me, I, lo- I just think, well, I just can't bend at all. Yeah. And so you just don't vent and you look for other options. I mean, there was a vendor who worked out a deal with a restaurant owner to let him sell hot dogs um, every so often. And then there was a woman who just, you know, is going to farmer's markets now. She's not street vending. Um, but it's just the idea of all these like certain little things that could get them in trouble that kind of just stopped them. Yeah. Yeah. But like this, the, if you're homeless, that doesn't mean you just stop being homeless. You're yeah. still homeless. I think that's the the biggest question really for, for that conversation in two weeks, which is how how exactly is this going to play out? I think it also reveals the mayor's belief that the tent encampments themselves are what give way to the the uh, the distasteful or criminal stuff that's going on, right? And that like just breaking those up would have ancillary effects on the on that. Now, whether that's true or whether they just find other places to go or or what is the I think again another question. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this part of San Diego, known as the extremity of Little Italy, the deep extremity of Little Italy. Keep up with all of our reporting and new investigations with The Morning Report. It's our most popular product. Subscribe at vosd.org slash morning. That's vosd.org slash morning. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats is managing editor for a bit. Andrew will maybe have different status soon. Andrea Lopez Villafania is also managing editor. Nate John is our producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.